Hi, and welcome to the first episode of season two of Motion and Meaning. I'm your host, Val Head, and we're going to be doing things just a little bit differently this season. In our first season, my co-host Kenneth Bowles and I talked a lot about the theory and principles behind why animation can be such a powerful design tool. We recorded 10 episodes that dig into the why and how of using animation in interfaces. If you haven't already listened to season one, I highly recommend checking it out. This season, however, is about putting animation into practice, and I've lined up some really wonderful guests to share their stories of how they get animation done in their own work. Unfortunately, though, Kenneth won't be joining us this season. He's a bit busy researching a new book and some other things, but we might have him on as a guest later in the season. My guest for this episode is Rebecca Yusai, who I got to chat with over Skype a couple of weeks after we finally got to meet in person. You might recognize Rebecca's name from her Medium article, UX Choreography, or the South by Southwest talk by the same name. Rebecca is currently a UX design director at RGA Chicago, where she and her team work to translate their clients' brand personality and values into the interfaces they design. And of course, animation is one of the ways they accomplish that. We started out our chat by talking about process, more specifically, where in the design process she and her team start thinking about animation. It's something that's on our minds from the start. Often what happens at the beginning of any project is our creative team, um, when we get a brief from our client, will also get any of their existing assets and their um, brand guidelines. And the very first step is immersing ourselves in who that brand is and where they want to be next and what our role is going to be in helping them transition, um, if that's their intent, away from their current language and mindset to something that they want to become. Um, so often at the start of projects, there's, there's a lot of creative exploration going on across each of our disciplines. Um, visual design is going through exercises for mood boards on um, color and typography and imagery. Um, copies, thinking through the appropriate way to um, evoke the tone of voice and talk to consumers. And a lot of times I feed off of a lot of what they're doing. I get inspired by a lot of the key words um, and patterns that I'm seeing throughout their process. And I already start to think um, how that might translate into a brand's behavior. Like one thing I always tell people to, to think about when it comes to motion is uh, if, if a brand were to speak to you, um, like what would it say? How would it talk to you? Think about if a brand were to move, what would it feel like? So right off the bat, we may not necessarily be doing any motion design, but as we're thinking through design objectives for the different wireframes and main sections of the app, the site, or whatever digital experience it may be that we're creating, um, I'm already starting to think through like the transitions that I may see, and I'm jotting them down, and maybe we're doing some light prototyping for some of them. Um, it's So it's... Just, um, I guess, gestural up front, and we're jotting down some pillars, I guess you would say, for what we want the design experience to feel like. And then later in the processes, we do get more refined, and visual design is getting deep into their work, is where we give more precision um, to the, the motion style guide, essentially. Oh, nice. So, like, those those pillars of, of what you want, like, the design or things or, the you know, what you want to say... Is that something that's shared across like visual, motion, all the things? Like, does everyone pull from that? Yeah. So we call them experience pillars, um, and we try that's to come name. up with like three or four of them 
at the start of a project. And so we're heavily collaborating with visual and copy on these because it's going to influence the way that they're approaching their work too. But it may be words like playful, refreshing, and fun, or strong and swift and clean, um, dramatic and purposeful. And uh, those just translate across many different touch points. They, they influence things like the way we might um, adjust the hierarchy of certain sections or what we bring into focus in the experience. Um, and that also, in, in the end, will influence the type of behavior that we want to see too. Yeah, that's great. I mean, if you all start from those same pillars there's a better chance like the end experience is going to have this like cohesive thread through it. Right. Cause you're all based on those same things. Yeah. And that's, that's the end goal. It's like the cohesiveness. Like you just said, it's giving purpose behind a lot of our design decisions. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned like going from voice and tone and like even content and copy things. Uh, Cause I'm like, I know I've, I've suggested that to people and I'm glad that I'm not the only one. So I don't sound crazy for being like, you can go from content to motion. <laughs> yeah. It's just so much stronger when the, when disciplines really are overlapping like that and collaborating on it and thinking through it together because you can definitely definitely feel uh, when experience that you use has been thought through like that versus one that just doesn't feel as, I guess, authentic to the brand and it feels a little bit off. Right, right. Like, do you notice that a lot when you're just like using other, you know, daily internet use and stuff? Does it stand out to you when you find a product that like clearly their design and motion especially like does not match their brand? Yeah, here and there, I'll just feel like, I mean, you can tell when it's an afterthought in a way. I mean, it's always nice to see motion applied, but I do, and I doubt that many other people are thinking through it on this level, but, but when I engage with things, I, I take note when something feels really good and authentic to a brand, and it just, like, it, it did feel like their tone of voice that I was engaging with versus one that was, like, I don't know why that was just made, like, to be so quirky and playful because I really don't think of those words. And when I think of this brand, I think it was just, like, an out-of-the-box type of application that they did. So um, I sometimes wonder if other people, like, subjectively are, are noticing that, too, I guess I'm just like much more critical of it because this is what I'm thinking about every every day. So everything that I'm using, I'm somehow evaluating. <laughs> no, I, well, that's definitely. I mean, for all of us that work in this field, right? If we design things every day, it's really hard not to judge the stuff we use. I don't know if like normal people, as I like to call them, uh, or just like regular non-design people, like can articulate why, but I feel like they can tell the difference between an experience that's been thought through to that detail and one that hasn't like, you know, you can, um, even if you can't point out to why you just know that like that felt better or seemed better. Like that's, that's my hope anyways. And I feel like there's, there's indication that's true, but yeah, it does feel a little weird when you're like, I'm judging everything. I know. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And it, it's often funny when, when I do hear people comment on it and they are like normal people, as they say, or non-designers, it like immediately grabs my attention. I'm like, Oh really? Like, why do you say that? Cause I want to hear your thoughts, like a non-designer evaluating it and like how, and like what it meant to you and how you felt. So like instant research mode. You're like, wait, let me get my notebook. Why did you say that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because motion, and, and well, all design, but I think motion especially can be so subjective. Like what a movement or a, a type of animation or easing means to you can mean something totally different to someone else. Or maybe they see something you don't like, just like that little bit of um, observational detail too. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. And I think that's why, I mean, like you said, it is subjective. I think that's why I think we need to try a little bit harder up 
front to really sit down and think through what feels authentic for a brand. Cause then at least, um, it feels more aligned and purposeful. Um, some may agree more than others when like thinking through those keywords and what it should feel like. Um, mm-hmm. but at least like giving more thought to it can hopefully like give it more purpose. Right. And like having those in the beginning gives you more structure to base things on later. Like if you're having a discussion like further into the project, like, Oh, I don't like that easing. You're like, well, we said playful was one of our experience pillars. So that's why it makes sense. If you could have more meaningful discussion, like someone could argue like it doesn't make sense because it's not playful enough or like you, you have that basis, which I think is a really smart way to approach it. So you don't get into that. Like, I like it. I don't like it. And then you're like, well, what do we do? Yeah, you're totally <laughs> right. And it, it gets increasingly important, even especially when you're on projects that may be like really long term and you find yourself gravitating more and more away from like your original vision for it as you go. So it is a tool to help your your team stay in line and use the same type of keywords and communication and mindset. It also helps with your client too. As with anything in our design work, having that point of view up front and really getting your client on board to help envision that experience too, that you're trying to strive to create um, also will help you articulate your design decisions to them. And they'll totally understand why you did what you did. And when something doesn't feel as appropriate too. So it's really a means is just in communication across the board. Right. Right. It's so, so many of like, I don't know, the problems and struggles of design or web design or any design comes down to like communicating with the people you're working with, which is both great and also sometimes the most difficult part of like getting our jobs done. Do you make motion style guides for your clients? Like since you're kind of like in the more of an agency model where you're like creating a project for a client and then I guess there's like a handoff at some point. It's not like a product you're working on constantly. Do you, do you still use style guides in that sense? Yes. Um, but it, it totally depends on the type of project. Um, on, so sometimes, um, we'll do the development in house too. other times our clients will have their own team and we're really just providing the, the design work and they're the ones creating it in the end. So, um, it's been mixed like on one large systematic, uh, redesign that we did last year, we created a motion style guide because um, we wanted to make it extra clear and easy for the team that was going to be building it in the end because they weren't um, working hand in hand with us. Um, so uh, what we tried to do with that style guide, and I feel like this is still a learning process. Like we learned a lot from doing this our first time as to how we might approach it down the road, but we tried to create like a sampling of interactions across this whole experience. We had like a section for global elements, things like navigation and accordions and overlays and tool tips. And we would show them like some examples and provide like a little snippet of a video recording of a prototype and then document things like the type of easing that was applied, opacity, position change. Um, and even before diving into those prototypes, like we had a little bit of a setup. Um, a lot of like what we were talking about up front, like our point of view of mm-hmm. how we want the motion to feel like, um, the easing that should be used across the board, um, when you should use opacity change or position change and why. Um, and it was nice because we didn't in the end have to create like a prototype for every single type of micro interaction. We just said in general, if there's like, a type of accordion movement anywhere on the site, just treat it in this way. Um, so it was really for easy for them in the end. Cause they understood like 
if anything would ever come up, this is how to approach it. Like I said, if, if it's a larger systematic design where we have to create a style guides for uh, visual design and, and copy as well, we'll do it. Other times it's more of an agile, quick project, um, and we may just be making decisions on the fly. And there's no like <laughs> formal documentation of it in the end. Right, right. Yeah. I, I like the way you're talking about structuring, like where you have those sort of like the main goals and so it's extensible. It's not just like here are the exact animations you make for this project and if you have a new one, too bad. Give people that basis, like almost like enabling them to make good decisions even after, you know, your agency's gone you've handed it off. You're like, we're not working on the project with you anymore but here's a good basis for helping you out. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, that's super helpful. Very Great way to hand it off, too, when you're like, I know the new things will come up. <laughs> we can't think of everything. Giving, Making them best equipped for anything that might come up long-term, because like the, des- the design also just doesn't end there. You know that this site and experience will continue to evolve down the road, probably, right. but this will still be a tool for them long-term. Right, right. Like If you're going to put all the effort into creating an emotion style guide, like you want it to be something they can build off of, because, like you said, there's always going to be something new. It's rarely do you hand off like a web project and they never add anything or change anything like that's that doesn't happen often (laughs) never completely finished (laughs) it's like the beautiful thing about the web and the worst thing about the web it's never done your your project's never done (laughs) they're like it never ends uh but also you're like but i can fix anything if there's a mistake i can go back and fix it i know totally i'm still gonna be reviewing this even though i'm like technically not on this project anymore i'm gonna still be looking out for all that stuff (laughs) you mentioned that you put in like little like videos and bits of prototypes what kind of tools do you you and your team use for prototyping when you're like coming up with these ideas for clients or or for their side guides sure um so again i think it's a little bit of a mixed bag and it's all dependent on i guess what the purpose of the prototype is whether it's just to Um, have a proof of concept to your client so that they understand what you're trying to get at and how something works versus creating uh, that more refined like motion style Mm -hmm. guide and and language. So probably not the best answer because I think a lot of people don't use this tool anymore, but I, in the past, I've used After Effects a lot. And the reason why is because, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure a lot of other tools are much better at this now, but what I liked about After Effects was that I could import all of like the layers from other programs we were using. Like if I set up layers in, in Illustrator or from Sketch or from Photoshop, like if I'm bringing in a visual designer's um, like final work, I could mm-hmm. easily build off of the work that was already done and not have to recreate the same UI just for the purpose of doing motion now. So in terms of workflow... Uh, in the past, that was easy for me. I know there's a steep learning curve for people if they um, haven't used After Effects. And the major con is also that it's not interactive. You can't like view it on mm-hmm. your device. Um, so in the, for the motion style guide, for example, when we were handing off prototypes, um, it worked fine in that respect because we were just handing off recordings of different uh, interactions and scenarios. Uh, but there have been times where Um, If you are trying to um, sell in a concept to your client, it's best to have them experience that on their phone and, like, get excited about that. So that's when other programs, like, I've dabbled in things like Pixate. Um, I think Mm -hmm. Proto.io and Flinto do a little bit of this, too. But um, small micro interactions that you can prototype and look at it on device, Um, those are great if you're just focusing on, like, a couple of them. 
Um, I found it to be a lot of work if you're trying to do a lot of them across the board. Um, and I guess sometimes I also have to take into account, are we also trying to show, I guess, a bunch of like user flows for something. And so Envision, for example, they don't have motion prototyping right now, but I know they're working on it, but sometimes it's in the works. Apparently it's I know it's in the works <laughs> and it looks awesome. Um, and so I'm hoping this is going to be like the gold star because my ideal tool is something that pulls together not only like screen to screen transitions so that you can go through a really robust flow, but also give the precision to transitions that aren't out of the box, like swipe left and from the bottom. Cause that's like my pet peeve about it now. I'm like, if only Envision had the ability to also do all of the tiny, like um, component based transitions that you can control and not just like the single page at a time. Like I said, the end goal of this um, is it just to do some quick iteration and see like what's feeling right? Or is it to get really meticulous around the behaviors in the end? Right. Like you almost need, like, I feel like you almost need two kind of tools, right? One, you can work in really quickly and be like, is this even a good idea? Should we even do this? And then one where you can be really refine it and be like, this is exactly what it should look like or what it should feel like. And, uh, you're right. There's no perfect tool for it yet, I don't think. But I also have high hopes for the Envision solution because the little sneak peeks I've seen of it look really amazing. And they're already so good at like that kind of like other prototyping and like page to page transitions like this. So many people are using it for that already. If they could add some really good micro interaction motion, totally. I think it would take off very yeah, well. Yeah. And they're already thinking through like now what I love about it now is, so I work in sketch primarily for wires and <clears> it already syncs with sketch. So like every time I make updates to my file it's automatically syncing with envision so it would be even more amazing if even on like the layer level if like i could just switch between the tools without a hitch um because that's like the biggest barrier right now with a lot of these is like i don't want to do work over again and waste time recreating things and stuff so what is the easiest way to bridge that gap between them right like you're trying to you're we're when you're prototyping, you're exploring something because you want to get to a solution faster. Like you want to know before you build it. So if making the prototype is just as much work as building it or anyway, even close to that, it's like, it kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough though. I mean, there's so many prototyping tools out there and I feel like none of them are exactly right yet, or at least not for me. Like I've been using framer a lot lately, which is super powerful and awesome. Also has that great sketch integration, which like if it didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to use it. Cause those, those designs get updated, you know, and then you don't want to have to rebuild your entire prototype. I love the import button. It saved me so much time. Within the past three years, I mean, it's really amazing to see how, how far a lot of these have come because I remember three years ago, there really, like, wasn't anything. Before there was even Sketch and we were working in, like, Illustrator and InDesign for wires and After Effects was really the only motion um, prototyping option at that time it felt like i feel like a lot of these new tools are iterating so quickly based on what they know users want and need so like i have full faith that in the future soon there will be um tools that are like getting at this whole idea of bridging that gap and improving that whole workflow um and there's so many of them now so i'm hopeful yeah i feel like there's so many and i'm also hopeful that like there's so many in this space, like someone is going to come up with a really good way to do it. They'll come out as like the leader and then we will have gotten this better solution that we are kind of like crossing our fingers and hoping will happen soon. <laughs> the one we actually like really want. Not only that, like, I mean, the fact that there's so many tools is like a blessing and a curse right now because mm -hmm. 
everyone is experimenting with different ones, which is awesome. But um, at least what I've experienced, like in our agency, for example, it's hard to find a standard tool that most people know um, and that we can all use. Because I feel like it always comes down to the scenario where we're so strapped for time on projects and we all are so eager to learn these. And then you also have to weigh it with like the timeline that you realistically have and if down the road it just becomes a little bit more standardized in the types of things that we're using because some of them are much easier to use, um, then hopefully it will, it'll help because it will become an, a more integrated part of our process because they're all just so easy to use at that point and everybody um, has gone over the learning curve and isn't, I guess, intimidated in a way to start to teach themselves a new tool in the middle of a project. Right. Cause that's a scary thing. If you're like, Oh, I need to prototype something. Oh, here's a new tool that just came out yesterday. Like that is risky in the middle of a project to try something brand new. I know. Yeah. Cause the, the, you'll have a scenario where it's like, Oh my God, this review is a couple days away and I would love to have something ready by then. And I know this tool would be amazing for that, but I'm not confident that I can like get to that fidelity that we need. So uh, it's always like weighing, like, what can I realistically do? Can I take this on? Because uh, I, I want it to be like this amazing thing, but hopefully, like, I know enough to make it that good. Yeah, it's all it's all a little bit of like, I don't know, almost a bit of a gamble sometimes. You're like, I think I can do it. I hope I can do it in time. <laughs> so, when do you typically like present animation ideas? Like, do you present like prototypes for specific animation ideas to clients? Do you only present internally, or do you do both at different times? Both at different times. I mean, we'll always have internals um, before client reviews, which will happen like every other week or so. If it's like a long-term, like systematic project. Um, and we'll usually be focused on batches of an experience at a time, like certain sections of a site or an app. And within those, if there are some key components of that section that are really um, core to that brand experience... Um, it is worth it at that point to dive a little bit deeper, maybe do some prototyping around it to get our client excited about it and to understand it better. Um, and that's where it's really more, it's like the low fidelity prototyping. So we, we'll caveat it. We're like, what we're showing you here is just the mechanics on how you might envision something like this behaving. Um, and you know, in the back of your mind that like, you're going to refine this down the road once uh, visual comes in and they help work through it together. Cause some stuff might change when they're brought in. They, when you, have wires um, and are working with a visual designer, like their job is also to interpret that in a way that maybe is better than what you had started. And they might have a different way of working through it and you build off of that too. So um, like we were talking about, like that's when the prototypes um, that are like fast and easy and can get that proof of concept across are valuable. And we'll show a lot of that early on to our client. And then once we have the more refined experience down the road is where we'll put some more time around it and precision and start to set more of those concrete rules. Like I was talking about the motion style guide that will give a holistic view as to say like, okay, now that we have our visual language totally set and you can see it applied, you can start to imagine like the feeling of playful and refreshing and fun coming in or strong and swift and clean and articulate it that way. Yeah, like you kind of, you have to try out a few things before you figure out exactly how you're going to express that. You can't just jump right into like this high fidelity, like here's exactly what you said. It's not like a checkbox. You're like, you said you are playful and strong. Therefore, you will use this easing curve on all of your things. Like it's never a one-to-one like that. It's still a lot of iteration. Like 
I mean, you have those keywords and you're inspired by them, but it'll take some time and a couple different iterations of that too, of interpreting like what that might feel like in the UI um, before you even find something that you want to move forward with and start to apply across the board. Yeah. Like, like all design, it's more art than science, I guess. It's like, you know, there's no one path, but I think that's what makes it really interesting. It's like every time, even if you had a client with like similar experience pillars, you still will come to a different conclusion. You still have that whole discovery process and that design process to come up with something different in the end. Like you said, it's the fun part about it too. Like I, we have different ways of approaching this, the whole creative process, but it's been different. Like every project I've been on, I still don't have one totally right way of doing it. All I know is like upfront, get inspired by the brand they're going to work with, see how the client reacts to it, see where you should spend your focus on this. And then we kind of just adapt on the fly, I guess. No, I love it. It's like, it's the whole, like, it depends answer to questions. Like, you know, you want to be, you want a structure within that, like a structure within which you work, but you don't want to be so rigid that you're like, everything turns out the same, or you just feel like you're repeating yourself because that's, that's not, that's not a fun way to work. You want to have that room to explore and everything. I like that. It's a good, it's a good way to, 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 uh, to say it. Yeah, I think that's also a good place to to wrap things up. So one last question for you is like, where can people find you on the internet and, uh, you know, keep track of what sorts of cool things you're up to? (laughs) Good question. Um, (laughs) I I would say Twitter is usually your your go-to answer, though I'm like totally not active on Twitter at all. Sorry, guys, but my (laughs) handle is Becky U. I always... I always see what people are like tweeting at me and I do respond, <laughs> but, but I'm not totally active. So sorry. I like totally let you down there. Um, I'm trying to be more active on medium. I have a post, nice. um, from last year that I published called, uh, the principles of UX choreography. And I'm actually thinking nice. about the follow-up now, which actually aligns a lot with what we've been talking about today, because I mean, my goal with, um, that post last year when I came up with the principles was to have a set of guidelines, I guess, for designers to think about motion in the right way. And a lot has, um, not changed where I guess I've, I've observed a lot from putting them into practice over the past year. And I feel like now I, I want to do a follow-up to talk more about the, this whole process of how to integrate it into your workflow, how to approach it with a mindset of designing, like for, your brand, your character, essentially, and getting inspired by that and thinking of that first. Um, So hopefully I get to that soon. I have a little outline in my mind, but that's essentially where I want to take it next. So that's great. That's great. I love it. It's like, it's coming from that brand perspective and that like knowing what you want to say, I think is perfect. And I've, yeah, the more we can get people interested in this and and thinking about motion and and like just having a thing to say with it, I'm excited. That's great. Well, everyone can definitely look you up on Medium and Twitter. And like now that you've said you're going to be working on that article and people will listen to this, you're going to have to write it. Sorry. (laughs) I know. Now I'm totally going to have to hold myself accountable. You've committed yourself. It's on the record. legit it's on the record <laughs> uh, well thanks so much for joining me today and for chatting about animation and process i think it's it was super great to, to hear about what you do and how you approach it and i found it really interesting so thanks so much awesome yeah it was fun to talk about and i'm looking forward to hearing about everyone else to find out more about rebecca be sure to follow her on twitter and medium You can find her on both those sites as Becca underscore you, and I'll also link them both in the show notes.
If you want to learn more about how to make animation a part of your own process, I just published a book called Designing Interface Animation that covers all of that and more. You can find the book at designinginterfaceanimation.com or on Rosenfeld Media's site. You've been listening to Season 2, Episode 1 of Motion and Meaning with me, Valhead. You can find out more about the show at motionandmeaning.io, as well as listen to all of last season's episodes with me and Kenneth Bowles. You can find the episodes both there on the site and on iTunes. I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. You can find us there at at motionmeaning. And if you've enjoyed the show, give us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find out about motion and meaning. See you again soon. Mm-hmm.